distance drivers are super sensitive on the nose angle. So when I'm throwing nose and I don't want them to kind of rise up nose, I really feel like I'm throwing them into the ground. Nose, you can have the nose up, you can have the nose down. Uh, ideal for disc golf is nose down. That's gonna get that disc naturally wanting to rise up. So if you ever notice when you play, definitely newer players, the first shot is always just straight up in the air. So I guess field work, more of accuracy shots instead of just ripping, more of trying to land in a certain place. Yeah, that's, that's definitely the, the way to see like exponential growth early. But And uh, my biggest tip for players who are throwing nose up, hi, I'm AJ Carey, I'm sponsored by Dynamic Discs, and this is the Chain Clankers Podcast. How's it going, everyone? Welcome to another episode of the Chain Clankers Podcast. We have a really good educational show for you guys today. We talked to AJ Carey, but here with me, my partner is going to tell us what you're going to do today. What's going on, everyone? Oh, man. Nose angle, nose angle, nose angle. You hear it a lot in videos. You've probably heard it on this podcast as well. And it really is so important to gaining distance and control of your discs and your throws. Well, today with AJ, we talk a lot about nose angle. We talk about how that can impact the flight of the disc, how you can get better at it, so on and so forth. So this is going to be the episode to improve your nose angle. And you're going to learn some other things about maybe the plane of your body when you're throwing and how that can improve your distance and accuracy as well. We've got a really fun ace round where we discuss how distance drivers are actually really bad for you. And you've heard that a lot, but you're going to hear some new takes on it. So you're going to want to make sure you stay tuned through that it, through the end. AJ has a super interesting hot take that might make you want to learn lefty as soon as humanly possible. But without further ado, let's go ahead and let's bring on AJ Carey. Let's welcome in AJ Carey. You heard him on the intro sponsored by Dynamic Discs. AJ, how are we doing today, man? I'm doing well. How are you? We're doing good. We're going to ready to talk to you out of North Carolina. So I'm excited to hear, you know, how you grew up playing disc golf in the, a lot of wooded areas, I'm guessing. Absolutely. A lot of the tightest golf feels fine. Oh yeah. I think Horatio and I, we went and we played the most wooded course that we have here in town. And I think we both agreed that ah, you, you just get a little bit better when you play those courses compared to just playing a, a nice open course all the time. Yeah, the woods definitely helps with uh, hitting gaps. It's one thing to be able to play in the open and play in the wind, but you can't throw it through 100 trees. You know, you're not going to do well, definitely when the tour is on the, the northeast. Yeah, um, I mean, everyone always talks about, you know, hitting your lines, hitting your lines, even in non-wooded courses about, you know, imagining your line and trying to hit that. But in wooded courses, you're kind of forced to actually hit those you have no other choice. So I guess when you go back out into more open courses, you can actually attempt to hit those lines, even though there's no trees. And I feel like that's what helps you improve overall. Yeah. And I, honestly, I, I enjoy the woods golf because it kind of forces you to hit that line and you can see that line kind of pictured there right in front of you versus when you're in the open, you kind of have as many lines as you'd like to take. So I like the forced golf quite a bit. Yeah, that's also kind of interesting that you say that because yeah, I just thought of this, you know, if, if you are playing in the woods and let's say you've got three lines on a certain hole, like you really can develop and like you have to hit those lines in order to get to the hole. But if you're just playing a, you know, 300 foot wide open hole, nothing in the way, I mean, 
you could do any little thing. And I almost would think it's a little bit harder to just focus on getting the disc to the basket because really, you know, you've just got grass and air and sky out there to aim at except for the basket. So maybe that's a little bit more difficult to mentally picture than, you know, you got your trees, the woods, there's the line. You can just hit that gap and get to the basket. I don't know, just something I thought about, but uh, have you you ever noticed that? Yeah, I could see that being, um, you know, something that you could, a factor in how to, I guess, gauge your, your, your play on a hole. Whereas you got a lot of different options, it may kind of bottleneck that a little bit into the mental process. But I don't know. Hitting a hitting a three hundred foot shot through the woods is much more satisfying than throwing a three hundred foot hyzer. I don't know. Very satisfying. I could also see why it would be nice to have that balance. Get out of the woods, you know, every now once in a while, or you know, maybe half and half to be able to get out in the open and just be able to rip shots or not not worry so much about having to hit those lines and practice other stuff. We're going to talk about nose angle and stuff later, which I feel is very yeah. important. It's important in the woods, but I feel maybe a little bit more important in open courses. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm at Maple Hill right now. So uh, the course is, you know, kind of 50-50 on woods to open. There's a, a lot of bombers, but then there's a lot of bombers to bottlenecks into woods. You know, a lot of holes that the fairways are wide and then it tightens and then it widens again. And, um, you know, it's, it's a good mix between that. Yeah. I feel like those are definitely some of the most fun courses, courses that provide a little bit of, you know, variety and challenges. Yeah. Very fun. Well, AJ, let's kind of get into your story, how you got started into disc golf. But before we do, I want to ask you about the ankle heard it a couple of weeks ago at Idlewild. How is it feeling going into, uh, Maple Hill? Ankles doing well. I'm playing all my rounds, uh, relatively pain-free. It's on my back foot, so it's not like I have to plant into it except for side arms, which uh, I'm, I'm mitigating that pretty well. And uh, ankle brace is doing me well, so we're playing disc golf, and we're excited to be not sidelined. Now I was able to play at Delaware and was able to keep it together and stay relatively pain-free, so we're going to keep that momentum going. For, you know, every for those that don't know how it happened, I guess. And like, yeah, kind of the situation Give us a little quick safety briefing, I guess on, you know, it's well, something people think about and, you know, something that people should think about. So give us a little quick, what happened, yeah. you know, to avoid it. Well, uh, yeah, I, I rolled my ankle stepping off a bridge. Uh, there was a hole that, uh, did what didn't appear to be there and it was there. So, you know, you'd think you'd roll your ankle, maybe running up or, you know, on a tee pad, but really probably most dangerous or this course is with a lot of rocks and roots or, you know, holes that can get you. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I cannot count how many times I've stepped into what I thought was flat grass and it was not flat grass. It was bad. I went down like a sniper got me. Uh, it would have been, a, it would have been a good meme. You know, <laughs> if you had a video of it, it would have been quite hilarious, but uh, quite painful at the time, and unfortunately, I had to drop by a while. But hey, there's always next year, and I'm I'm just glad to be playing. Definitely. Well, let's get back into a little bit backstory, kind of how you ended up, you know, touring full time, and take us all the way back to the beginning. How you got started? Who got you started? As much as you can remember. Uh, well, I I started playing. My my best friend Wyatt, he uh. He started playing disc golf and 
I was like, man, I guess I'll try that too. We were part of an ultimate uh, club in high school and uh, they all started playing disc golf. So I, like, I guess I'll start playing disc golf, you know? And so that's kind of, it started out that mob golf on our nine hole course of the, the high school. And then really until I got into undergrad, I um, started playing PDJ sanctioned events. I met another friend, Chase, and we went and played every C tier and B tier in North Carolina, just about for a good, like two, three years in a row playing an AM. So, you know, had a blast in my lifetime, spent every weekend of undergrad pretty much playing a, a tournament somewhere. And then 2017 is when I turned pro and uh, won AM Worlds that year. So got bumped up. And uh, in 2019, my wife and I decided it was time to go on tour that we could try this full time. Yeah, so awesome story. I mean, winning AM Worlds, very impressive. Not too many people can say that they've done that before. How do you go from somebody who was an ultimate disc golf, or excuse me, ultimate Frisbee player to a very serious disc golfer and someone who's finding success at the highest level of disc golf. Like when did that switch kind of flip for you where it was like, Hey, I'm going to take this disc golf thing pretty serious. Uh, I really would say that was the am worlds. I think I was nine fifty six at the time when I, when I won it. So I was not the highest rated player there. Um, and I kind of was at that point where I was just graduated undergrad. I just got like this dream job working at in of a disc golf in Rock Hill, South Carolina. I was like just a weekend at this time. And, you know, I was really at that point. I was like, all right, starting to put the disc golf in the back burner, you know, look at switching, looking to the real world. And then winning that event was like, okay, no, maybe I can do more than this. Maybe I can try the pro, you know, maybe I, whether it's just playing C tiers on the weekends, just the start of it. And so as I saw it becoming, you know, a little bit more and more successful. I, that's when we made the leap in 2019. I think I was in the 990s and my wife was almost 900 rated. And it was like, we saved up a lot of money and bought a van and converted it. We're like, well, if we're going to do it, we're going to do it when we're young. Figured we might as well make the leap of faith. And we did. And well, we're still on it. How long did it take you guys to get kind of used to, you know, get routines and learn? Because going on tour is one thing, but then like van lifing is a completely other thing. Like it's a whole different life. Oh, it's, it's a, we live a gypsy lifestyle. It's like what we joke to call it, you know, our no, maybe a more appropriate term is nomad. Uh, you know, we like to, like from literally February to October, we're in the van you know, 50-50 between whether we're staying in the van or we're staying like at a host house. But it's it's a wild ride. You know, we we play a tournament just about every weekend. We've had maybe three weekends off, and that's because we had to drop one. It could be a hustle, but it's it's the hustle that we love. You know, it's we get to see a new place every week. Yeah, definitely a cool lifestyle. Talk to me a little bit about how you can keep your body healthy playing every single day dang near you know i i played one tournament like three rounds in two days and my body was hurting for like a week how are you guys able to play so much and just still be able to give it a hundred percent every weekend uh, there's definitely we have to force ourselves to take days off i mean some people don't take any days off i might play for 20 20 days or 20 plus days until i get a day off of no play but you get used to it 
when you play every single day and you sometimes play like a round with multiple reps, you might throw three tee shots and play out from those. So you get a lot of reps in and you just got to keep stretching out and eventually your, your body gets used to it. Sometimes you play a really long course, like the courses that push the 10, 10,000 plus feet. You definitely feel it after a week of that. I think a lot of times, you know, when people think about pros or like you guys on tour, they maybe think about, you know, their local pros who play tournaments here every once in a while and practice and whatnot. But like the, the pros on tour, like it's, that's kind of like the elite of pros. Like it's no different, like NBA players, you know, baseball players, like the pro level, like that's your career. It's your main priority. Like you almost have no choice but to play every day. So like you were saying, you get do, used to it for sure. You know, you get used to it, but are, are there stuff that you do to take care of yourself? You know, routines that you have? Uh- yeah, definitely. Uh, we have stretching routines and like routines to warm up properly and not not going full blast into it off, off the first tee, you know, give yourself time to wake up. But on top of that, I, I give myself, you know, at least like an hour of like some physical mo- movement before I go out and just straight up play. So, you know, at least I'm getting warmed up efficiently and not not tightening up right before I play. Um, but stretching is definitely key. You got to stay I stay like a rubber band. So I know that you guys are, you know, practicing all these really cool courses throughout the season on the pro tour. Talk to me a little bit about when you were coming up through disc golf and through am worlds and so on Mm -hmm. and so forth. Like what did your practice schedule kind of look like? Because I feel like those who really do take disc golf seriously, take the next step. Maybe they're doing a little something different when they're practicing disc golf via field work or on the course, was there anything that you were doing different back then that maybe most people aren't doing or any, any kind of tips you have for practicing? I'd say uh, putting like a madman on practice and just putt all the time, Uh, really buckling down the 25 footers and getting to where those are automatic is like key to instant success pretty early. Um, And then also I spent a lot of time doing field work. You know, a lot of this field work was done while I was in undergrad and I had a lot of time outside of class and homework. So I would just literally go in the field and most of it was chucking, throwing as hard as I could or just blasting on shots. Very little of it was probably efficient at the, at the time, you know. So if I was to say if I'd go back over, if I'd give any advice on that, you know, put some cones out, throw some cones, do some accuracy. If there's soccer fields, throw the soccer goals. But I was just, I spent too much time out chucking, you know, early on. So I probably had thousands of hours of just ripping the disc as far as I could, you know, just because that's what everybody wants to do. But uh, when it really became more successful in the field work is whenever I brought the cones out or, you know, I went to the, the hole, the wide open hole at the course and just threw to the basket, you know, or forced myself to hit lines. So I guess field work more of accuracy shots instead of just mm-hmm. ripping, more of trying to land in a certain place. Yeah, that that's definitely the the way to see like exponential growth early. But you know, take it from me, ripping in the field does it. Besides, you know, helping you get that extra length and watching how the disc fly. <laughs> that's not the only thing you should do. <laughs> but it always field work always seems to end up that way. Let's talk a little bit about your sponsor, Dynamic Discs, picking you up this year. How have they supported you in 2021? In 2021, they uh, they helped me with our expenses. 
And uh, they, I've had a Tour Series disc this year with the uh, Lucid Excavator. Uh, I have my uh, stamp that's our fundraiser. And we also have uh, the Carry Van fundraiser discs. And unfortunately, I don't have one right in front of me. Um, but it's our like van and spelled out Carry Van. And we've had quite a, quite a bit of discs printed with that stamp on that. And that helps go to support our, our tour as well. That's awesome. How did kind of tell us a little bit how the sponsorship went down, you know, what were you doing, I guess, beforehand to kind of get their attention or to end up there? Dynamic Disc has a like an initial application process. So I put an application with them and from there they reached back out to me just in the off season. I, I reached out pretty much to the, the whole, whole slew and, and uh, DD was uh, the be- best fit for us or for me uh, for the season. So. Do you see yourself trying to be with DD for 2022 and beyond? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, I could see with um, more collaborations going on. You know, I'd, I'd like to see where where I could go with with Dynamic Disc. Were you already throwing all Dynamic before, or did you kind of have to change up your back going? No, no. So um, I would say I started playing Innova Country, so my bag pretty much consisted of Innova. And then working at Innova, I was throwing only Innova. But after Am Worlds, quite a few months later, I got sponsored by Dismania. So I was Dismania for 2018 and 2019. And then for 2020, I, I was playing with a mixed bag. So honestly, leading up to this year, I've never, I never threw any of the, the trilogy molds besides what the Evolution line from Dismania, that was the closest thing i had to it which is it's the same plastic their line made by latitude 64 so that gave me a little bit of a heads up to what i was getting into so nice well talking about plastic let's kind of get into the main educational part of today's show and we we've heard from listeners and fans out there that nose angle is something they would like to improve at and i think everyone can take some tips away from getting better with your nose angle whether that's being more accurate getting more distance whatever it be nose angle is super important so before we even get into this complicated discussion aj can you kind of break down what is nose angle and maybe how it affects the flight of a disc Uh, well nose angle is that leading edge and it's uh you know, how it is on the plane of the flight. So you got, you can have that flat nose, you can have that nose up, you can have that nose down. Uh, ideal for disc golf is nose down. That's going to get that disc naturally wanting to rise up. So if you ever notice when you play definitely newer players, the first shot is always just straight up in the air. And it's because you get a little nose up and the disc will lift into the wind. So like trying to get the best flight is just a little nose down. And uh, my biggest tip for players who are throwing nose up, push more with the thumb. The thumb does a, the thumb pressure is what I call that. And that, that really helps get that leading edge down. Cause you really like, when you want to think about it, that leading edge is the most important edge of the release. Like that's all you got to think about because that's what it's going to snap on. Yeah. I know personally, my buddy, he was having an issue. He was throwing fine. And then first at some point he started throwing really nose high. So he was losing a lot of distance and couldn't really figure it out. And it turned out to be, it was the way that he was holding the disc. He was kind of holding it way too tucked into his hand. 
and almost mm -hmm. gripping it too hard and his thumb was way too wide and so it wouldn't allow him it wasn't naturally a feeling for him to kind of push that thumb like you're talking about so what he did was move his thumb over closer to mm -hmm. the rim and kind of take the disc out a little bit not quite all the way tucked mm -hmm. in to where it was more natural his wrist he was able to push it down in a much more smooth motion as right. before it, it was forced so he would have to be like constantly be pushing down and it was tiring him so right. i know for him that, that was a quick easy fix was just how he was holding the disc um right but i guess when we're talking about kind of more advanced players people that have been playing longer and they're throwing more straight but they're still getting kind of nose high probably natural to you but are there some things that you think about when you're throwing to kind of control that nose angle uh so there's some discs that are nose angle sensitive and these are your drivers and it kind of goes down in sensitivity. So you can think your distance drivers are going to be your most nose sensitive. You got a little nose up, they get a lot of rise. Uh, versus a putter, you can have a lot of nose up and it might not rise at all. Uh, like there is, there is a time when you need to throw that nose up angle, you know, because it really helps it stall. That's usually those are the shots you would throw with like a mid-range or a putter. So there, there are those times you need that, but like distance drivers are super sensitive on the nose angle. So when I'm throwing nose and I don't want them to kind of rise up nose, I really feel like I'm throwing them into the ground. For people who are throwing shots real up in the air, that's my, my best, best tendency to tell them is like aim even lower and see if that even, still rises up. I guess, how do you throw the disc high, like get good like height on your disc, but still throw with nose down angle i feel like that's maybe a little it's for me at least kind of hard to comprehend throwing the disc at a higher angle but having the nose angle down like i feel like i have to aim lower towards the ground which could be taking away some distance because it doesn't have enough time to flex out or whatever like is is there a way to throw it higher and still have the nose be down i'm trying to think about how i could you know explain how that is but it there is a process where like you want to see those big high shots, like the big high turnovers. You like, for instance, I'll give an example, double G. It, it, it's pretty much patented for him. He throws it way up in the air and somehow it still flips over and turns. Well, that's just, that disc is like nose down the whole time. Even when it's going up the hill, it's still like nose down. For some odd amount, it's still that got that just enough nose down to get the turn into and be building that speed. And really for me, I just, and the thumb pressure, you know, keeping that outer edge pointed down. Sorry. It's a weird principle to think of. I mean, it's really weird to think of like throwing it up in the air and still kind of having a nose down to it. Yeah, and he he throws very specifically. He throws in a very his own way, definitely the way that he throws. So I kind of I understand how you're saying like that's very difficult to understand. And maybe when I say nose down, I don't even mean like that leading edge, but it's almost like the side that gets to the turn. Like, you know, it's like you see those high swooping shots. They break over when they start to break over right. They're like almost going down like they're the nose is crashing and then the stability rises it back up. So it's like it's like getting that Anheuser, but nose down on it. That's that's the hardest shot to be in my opinion. So. You know, to first learn getting picking up playing. It's almost like it doesn't really make sense, I bet, I guess, but it's almost like a reverse hyzer flip. Because if you think about a hyzer flip, you know, if you're going to the left for a right-handed player, it's it's kind of to the left with the nose down and it stands up and finishes out. 
where like, I don't know if it's a thing, but kind of what you're talking about is almost if he throws a reverse hyzer flip backhand. So it's leading that and then it stands up almost with that nose down, but then it still finishes to that right, that turnover. Right. I mean, it's, it's the uh, how you throw like a flex shot with an overstable driver. You kind of have to get that edge over nose down that shot. It's a lot easier to do with the overstable driver for like a hyzer flip. You don't you don't throw that nose down. You get it up, stand it up and let it flip late. So quick question about the thumb pressure. I want to just back up real quick just to make sure we're really clear here. When you, I guess, recommending a new player holding the disc, should they have their thumb closer to the rim of the disc to have good nose angle? Or should it be like kind of almost more towards the center? I'm really just trying to pinch here. Like think of where your hands are. You know, this is my pinch here. So wherever that is on the rim. I mean, you think about like a high-speed driver versus a fairway versus a putter versus a mid. It's going to vary a little bit in where your finger is at. But I'm trying to pinch in between these two fingers, regardless of really where that's at. Your index and your thumb, right? Correct, yes. My index and my thumb. But again, I'm like, it's over this line of knuckles. Mm. Yeah, that's what I'm lined up with. Where Yeah, that makes sense. Where it's natural for your hand and your, your, yeah. Your yeah. Hand. I don't really mess with a whole lot of differences in where my thumb is. I really just try to keep that thing as static as possible. It's just there to keep that nose uh, down. I mean, pressure when I, when I say push down, it could mean too of like how you position your hand. Cause when I think of when I'm pushing down, it might take my wrist to rotate down a little bit into it. I'm really just trying to line that disc up with the center of my forearm. And then think of like, you know, you want, you want to get that nose out of your hand as efficient as possible. So what, if you can line that up naturally on your hand, on your wrist arm and keep everything straight, it's a lot easier to execute at the end. I know thinking less. Let's talk a little bit about, you know, you talk about stalling. That's mm-hmm. people talk about nose angle. That's something that comes up all the time is stalling. Why? Why wouldn't you just throw something slower right at the basket or something like that or something go disc down as opposed to throwing something that has to stall? What's the benefit of that? And when would you use that during a match? Uh, So like, for instance, I use a Maple Hill example. There's a whole seven. It's a pipe job up the hill. You know, you might to to get one to stall. Yeah, to get one to stall. So I'm throwing a shot that I need to stand up, but I don't need to turn. I don't need to fade. You know, I want it to stay straight and as it's stalling, because it's going nose up, it needs to be a disc that holds that straight naturally. So there's a lot of shots that like anytime you're throwing uphill, your disc is going to stall and it's going to slow down. And so, I mean, there's times where if you may need to throw a mid-range straight, you might have that stall shot where it goes straight, straight and falls down, you know, versus throwing a high, say a hyzer foot. Anytime you're throwing uphill, you're pretty much throwing a stall shot. Would you say on your like approaches to the green, mm-hmm. are those typically more nose up just because you want them to nestle closer to the basket or does it really just kind of depend where you're at? Yeah, it really depends on it's just dependent on the shot. Uh, like for instance, when I'm going to throw nose up is when I want it to sit or I want it to do what it's called a helicopter. So it's like almost coming in on an Anheuser and then flattens out and its fade is just straight down. Like it doesn't, it just loses steam and falls straight down. So that, that's a very efficient use of the stall. 
you know, because that nose up is going to like try to get it to fade, but it loses speed by the end of it. You know, so anytime I'm throwing kind of uphill, soft greens, anytime I don't want a whole lot of action or skip, that nose up is great because it really just drops down versus hitting the ground and having action. What are some other instances that you can think of or that in your game that you use, you know, you control that nose angle besides stall shots? Literally every shot, you're going to have to control it somewhat or another. Uh, You know, whether that's forehand to backhand, that nose angle, whether I'm throwing a flex, whether I'm throwing a hyzer flip, it's uh, very crucial to, you know, to, to hit that out of the hand exactly the way I want it to release. I guess most people just don't think about it too much. You know, they kind of just throw the way and they're not, they're not thinking about the nose angle too much. They're kind of just throwing to where they can get the most distant and the best shot. And Mm -hmm. I guess more shots kind of like that stall shot where you're, you're purposefully thinking about that nose angle. I guess another example I could maybe think of is like skip shots. That's somewhere where you're going to be very deliberately. Right. Are there other shots that you can think of that maybe use in your game where nose angle is like a lot more important where you really have to focus uh, on it? I mean, I throw quite a bit of rollers. Uh, anytime the, the course really sets up for like, you know, distance golf courses, we, we got a lot of roller holes. So that's something that's very important to get that angle to the ground. You know, that's, that's something that's very angle dependent and not a shot that a lot of people throw, you know, on the, on the amateur side. If I'm a new player and I find myself constantly throwing the disc up into the air and then it just maybe goes 100, 150 feet and just dumps left, probably my issue here is the nose angle being bad. What are some things at home that I can like maybe do out in the field to see the nose go down? Like maybe where are there any drills out there that could help me when I'm trying to work on this? Or is it just kind of a... You, you just got to really do it with the thumb and, and the way you grip the disc. Uh, I, yeah. Is there anything that someone can do? Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of great things. My, my favorite way to help teach the nose angle, teach throwing in general is throw a putter, uh, throw a putter until you can push that thing 250 feet, you know, in the field just for fun, you know, keep on tossing it. Uh, it's uh, it's going to teach you the most about your game, whether about what whether the release out of the hand, you know, it'll teach you how to throw in the in the wind, even with the putter, you know. So that's one thing uh, that could teach you is if just learn to throw, you know, pure hyzer on it. Learn to throw it flat. If you're going out there and you're throwing everything nose up, like say if you're just going out there and your slings up in the air and it's falling out left, you're right, you're right handed. I mean, that's, that's because you're pulling from a low to a high. So everything is translatable out of the hands. So if you watch the flight, if it just goes up in the air and falls out, your swing might be pulling from the bottom up in the air, you know? So that might be something to look at a mirror, video yourself. You might find that the, that nose up isn't from the, the angle out of the hand. It's because your pull goes up, a you know, a degree a couple degrees on the angle. I mean, think of like the pitch of your, your pull is going to de- determine that release point. Now, like you got to think from the back point to the front point, you can plot that line and it'll point, it'll show exactly where you're throwing, you know, with some like t- the left and right being the fade. 
when you see a lot of those photos for people reviewing like uh, form shots and power pocket, most of the times, you know, when you're coming through that power pocket, it's a linear line. It should be coming kind of out of the body in a straight line. And that's what you're talking about. It's going to affect that. Yeah. That straight yeah. shot. If, if you follow that line from uh, the back through the power pocket, you can pretty much plot where that disc is going to go on the linear line from the side view. It's, you know, there's going to clearly be the, the right to left from, you know, the fade and the turn, but just straight off the release point, you can see it there from the side angle. I mean, next time you go out and you play around with your friends, watch from the side and you can like kind of mentally call like, oh, that's going to go up in the air, you know, just by watching the pull go up, you know, versus being flat. What do you think would impact a newer player's throw more the nose angle or the line at which they're pulling the disc? Like, what do you think? If uh, I had to pick one to work on, what should I work on? I mean, that's a, like a both, but, but really the line you pull the disc on is probably the most important uh, because that, that supersedes ain't like the release angle because like the release angle is something you're going to pick up, but having that straight pull, you know, if you think of you're pulling the disc parallel to your body and outside the body is really how you pull it. You don't pull, you say pull across your chest, but it's, it's off of your chest and off the whole time from the back to the front. It's not like you reach behind your body because that's rounding. You reach out and then you pull through. So like just having that clean straight out and through more important to me. You can take a putter and you can pure, you know, a nose up putter shot for all I care you know, from after that. It would be very difficult to throw a disc nose down and still have that low to high release that you're talking about. Right. Have it nose down if that's what you're focusing on and do a high release. It's still going to go up in the air and dump. Yeah, I mean, and it's, it's good to have that like low to high. If I'm throwing over a tree, I'm pulling from low to high, okay? But also if I'm throwing a roller, I'm pulling from high to low. Like I'm reaching that disc real high to the sky and I'm pulling it down to the ground. Like I'm throwing it, like I'm throwing myself into a cartwheel. You know, it's like all of these angles and body control are things that you need to throw. If you want to throw all the shots, you just have to fit the intended line to the body motion. I, the cartwheel part really made a lot of sense because that is how you would want to throw a roller. You, you want your body to do that. And you can apply this to baseball. You can apply it to disc golf. When a pitcher, for example, if a right-handed pitcher throws and they're falling to the left, the ball's going to end more on the left side of the plate where in disc golf, if you're throwing a backhand and you're falling to the right, your disc is going to go to the right more. Or if you're yeah. falling to the left, it's going to dump to the left more either or. So really, it, it is so important with how your body weight is is moving. Uh, I just yeah, that's a long winded comment. But I thought that was I thought that was really, really useful. And hopefully you guys at home can take something away from that and take something away from our nose angle discussion, because this definitely will help my game for sure. I now, you know, have learned a couple of things that I can go out and work on the next time uh, we're out on the field or in the course. So if you have felt that way as well, make sure you leave a like rating on this video. Subscribe, leave a leave a comment. 
we'd love to hear what you're working on. And if any of these tips have helped you, definitely would love to hear that. But let's move on, AJ. This is a new segment we've been kind of sort of rolling out with guests. It's your disc golf hot take, something that you would change in disc golf. What is your disc golf hot take? I wouldn't say this is something I would change, but my hot take is that uh, the future of disc golf is ambidextrous. Uh, I, I really do believe that the, the upper echelon, say 20 years from now, the, the kids are going to grow up throwing righty, le- righty backhands, lefty backhands, lefty forehands, righty forehands. Because, like, I've already seen kids now doing it. I stayed with a kid in Texas State uh, this year, and he could throw disc every side. I mean, all of them. Didn't matter. So the kid was eight. So, yeah, step up, people. Come on. Got to throw all arms, that's, all of it. That's wild, and I I could see how that would be super beneficial. But do you think that it might also be a disadvantage to that kid? He now has to learn a good right backhand, right forearm, left backhand, left forearm. I mean, the kid throws it, almost three hundred feet already, all of them. Uh, so it, yeah. is it a disadvantage? I mean, yeah. let I mean, come on, like. This is, this is why I, I go to that. I, you think of sidearms. There's a lot of people that are having sidearm problems. You know, hard throwers, they, there's a lot of them that throw their arm out. When it comes to backhands, backhands are just go forever, all right? That you're always going to have the, the higher, like the longer distance out of the backhand. So if it's really learning that back, lefty backhand, righty backhand, and be honest, there's a lot of touring players now that are ambidextrous and you would never know. And so I think it's I think it's the future, you know, try throwing 450 feet like with a sidearm. And then if you had that backhand, it's just effortless versus the energy you have to do it, you know, with a say a forearm. Who is the sneaky best player on tour who can do both? Uh, Bradley Williams has a dirty lefty. Um, he, he threw the first hole at preserve the round. I played with them, uh, with a lefty, just bombed one out. Uh, Luke Sampson has a dirty lefty. Chris Dickerson has a dirty lefty. I mean, names can go on and on. There's a lot of players that will like have a sleeper left-hander. So you could, you'd be, you'd be surprised, you know, for the guys who throw Frisbees for a living. That's, that's next on my list. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe I should quit trying to improve or learn a good forearm and just tr- try to learn a backhand. I feel that nope. would be no, I mean, easier. I mean, I mean, do them all. I mean, yeah. you can't throw, a, you can't, you can't only patent pending to a certain extent before you can just reach out and side. Yeah. I mean, if you could reach out all directions, lefty or righty, you scramble machine. True. I put up a post today about being uncomfortable uh, you know, when you're putting, like if, if you're in a position that you're not normally in, you know, behind a tree or whatever, take a couple extra practice putts. Cause then if it happens in a tournament, you'll be better, but maybe yeah. I'm going to have to start throwing well, lefty off every single I mean, tee just, just to see how it goes. Yeah. Yeah. I say for those guys who like wince on their, when they throw their sidearm real hard and they're like, Oh man, that hurts. I got to ice that. I'm like, might as well just learn the lefty. Because you're not, probably not going to have to ice it. You can use more body out of it. You know, it's mechanically more sound. Just thinking about learning the X step and doing that just sounds so frustrating. Oh, see this, this, yeah, it's oh, it's frustrating. I'm trying it too, and it's like standstill only. 
Uh, yeah. But, you know, if you can do it, but that's, I say it's the future of the game. Like 20 years from now, it's, it's the kids, like, like the, the kid I say with, you know, I referenced earlier, he's, he learned it just instantly because he's a kid. Yeah. So mm-hmm. if, you know, in young adolescence, those, those are the ones that pick it up and then, then it becomes a standard. No, I get it. Yeah. They have no bad habits. They have no muscle memory, nothing. My, <laughs> my nephew is-, he is five and he likes yeah. playing disc golf and I don't know when he decides, but I'll throw the disc to him and we'll play or whatever. And I guess just depending on where the basket is, he'll decide what arm to use. But like, yeah, I don't tell him to throw with whichever one. He just, whichever one he picks it up with almost. And that's what he throws with, but he's not even thinking about it, but he throws with both. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. You start out like that. Doesn't matter. I mean, then you learn them, you pick it up from the start. You know, it's like, I think that'll be the eventually a part of it. Like, it's just going to be like, well, you don't throw with both hands. Why? You know, it's yeah. like the conversation now of people saying you don't throw a side, you don't have a sidearm. Mm-hmm. Like how do you play disc golf without a sidearm? You know, 20 years ago, hardly anybody had a sidearm. That's a really so, good point. I think we're going to look back at this episode and this is going to be what sparked the change and all the yeah, kids are going to learn lefties and, and righties. And it's, it's Horatio. We're going to have no chance out there, man. We're going to yeah, be two we, old dudes. We don't, who just we don't have a chance now. This golf. <laughs> oh, goodness. I hope I'm masters by that point. Yeah. yeah. Ain't that the truth? <laughs> all right. Horatio take us into the ACE round. Yep. So these are the same five questions we ask everyone we have on. It's just questions to kind of get into your head and help the listeners. Uh, some quick tips, something, you know, if they take anything away to take something away from these five questions. The first question we have is you're taking out a buddy or just get their first set of discs. What putter, mid and driver do you recommend them by? Uh, all right. So first time playing, we're going to give them one putter, probably two putters, maybe three putters, but uh, maybe, <laughs> maybe, maybe a dr- mid range in there, but driver, no chance. Uh, you know, it's just, unless they're coming out with like a ultimate background or, you know, it's just instant, pick it up and throw it a mile. We've all seen those players, those guys, you know, it's, you probably should be learning the putter in mid range because at the most they're going to be able to top out the disc anyway. It's, it's probably going to be under that distance that the disc is even designed for. Cause look at, we got to remember putters when they first were made, they were designed to go over 300 feet. That was the, the driver. You, know, you learn to throw that mid that putter, you know, 250, 275. That mid-range is going to instantly go three, three, 330. If you can pull, you can do that with the mid-range, then the driver is going to be easy too. You know, it, it, it's those stepping stones of you have to be able to get the disc up to speed before you can upgrade. And that's where a lot of people are like skipping the mark and they, they go straight for the groove at the Dick Sporting Goods. Like instead it's like, no, let's, let's step it back. Let's, let's get the putter because that's too big boy. You know, you know let's, let's throw what's going to teach you good form. Yeah. So. That's, that's such a good shout. I mean, we've heard that from a ton of other pros on the show, but I recently just had one of my buddies who he came up, played for the first time, pretty much ever he played one other time it had been a couple of years and he kept trying to throw the old 11 speed distance driver that he got from dicks i was like man come on dog just throw your putter i'm telling you it's gonna go better and couldn't quite get through to him but may- maybe in the future we'll be able to maybe i'll have him listen to yeah. what you just said 
Yeah, and I and, and maybe I just we can blame the manufacturers for selling the high speed disc to everybody, but like it just built a kind of a culture of like jumping too 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 quick into the drivers. I was I was susceptible of that from early age uh, from the start. Like from the start, I was like, I need the fast stuff. I got the arm. No, no. But my game significantly improved whenever I got the best tip was, hey, learn to throw your mid-range 300 feet in these woods. And that was like a good Carolina tip there, you know, and that changed it all. Because when, when I could throw that mid-range 300 feet, I, then I actually started having control. It makes sense, but people still don't believe it. People still go out and do it. If people thought about speeds instead of speeds, if they thought about speeds as like weights, like you wouldn't yeah. go to the gym. If you've never worked out in your life, you're picking up weightlifting, you wouldn't go and put 200 pounds on the bench. You know, some people might get lucky and be able to do a couple reps, but your average person is not going to be able to bench 200 pounds, let alone, you know, 250 or whatever. You would start right. with low weight. You would learn that mu muscle memory. You would get the reps in and eventually you would slowly start working yourself up once you got good form so you didn't hurt yourself. And if people thought about discs in that respect, it's more like weights, then maybe, you know, maybe they would believe it. But, you know, a workout that I do is when I go warm up or it's instead of field work, I go to the course and I do a round of like five different holes and I start with putters. And then the next round mm -hmm. I do mids and then eventually like the third or fourth round, then I'm at fairways and drivers and it feels so yeah. much easier. And I, I'm almost overshooting the holes because I start with those slower speed discs and it's just easier. I don't know, but hopefully people believe it and start start doing it yeah yeah i mean it's it helps significantly in the game and you you just start really learn those slow speed discs yeah one last comment i have before i move on to the next question is i almost want to blame ball golf for this because when in ball golf do you drive off the tee with a putter you never do you don't so everyone you don't newer people into the game are going to be like, Oh, well I have to use the driver because it's like ball golf. It's not right. like ball golf. Yeah. And we, we got to remember that our roots of our game, you know, was, is not like golf golf. I don't know. I, I'm not sure on the history, but I don't think they just played with one club from the start. You know, maybe they did, but uh, disc golf, we really, you played with one club. I mean, I don't know. You know, in the 80, late 80s, you know, early 90s, the disc really grew in speed. So every year they were putting out something faster and faster. So when the, say when the ABR first came out, that was the big distance driver. Like that was, that was what was going far. So we got to like check on that and just kind of look back and say, all right, if, if, you know, the likes of Harold Duvall can throw a 150 ABR 350 feet, you know, and that's that's a crush. You know, I think uh, you know any other players can can get the that same disc pretty far too. You know, you get there were guys playing. You got to think of like in the '90s, you'd play out where you are in Kansas. Try playing some of those golf courses with a with only your putter, and just think that's what the guys who first started did. You know, maybe they didn't play from the gold tees, but those 250 three, to 350. They're playing all that with putt, you know? It's okay. I'm not They're on the tee, so I, I don't even know. Yeah. So. yeah. I mean, that's, that's how, that's how the game, that's how the game started. It was like with the, those slow speed discs. 
So I, I like to take it back to that. Yeah, for sure. Great discussion here. Let's get on to the second question now here. Number two, what is your favorite course you have played and one course you would love to play? Uh, I really would love to play the Beast, but I, I don't think that course is ever going to uh, be back. Uh, that's in Nokia, Finland. Um, but my favorite course that I've ever played, that's a hard one because like, I really like Maple. I really like Brewster. I mean, this Northeast is such a hard stretch, but I would probably say Maple right now is on the top of my list on it's like the pinnacle of on epic courses. You know, got to give a notable shout out to the Milos. They're both sick. Northeast and Pacific Northwest golf is like nothing else. Yeah, some of those courses look beautiful. They're definitely like if you're into disc golf, it's like destination golf. Kind of, you know, where you can play oh, a yeah. trip and go out to. Oh, yeah. And there's destination golf everywhere. It's really hard to say what my favorite course is because there are so many top-notch golf courses. And on the Pro Tour, there really isn't a bad one. Yeah, I'm excited. I don't know if you've seen the video that uh, Simon Lazat did with Eagle, uh, but played that course that they are designing. They're supposed to be like one of the most beautiful courses, you know, ever made. Um, it's got a bunch of like animal statues and I'm excited because that one is going to be, I believe it's in Missouri. So like, it's not too far. Eagles from crossing. Missouri, be kind of Midwest. Is, it, is this Eagles think, crossing? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. So that course yeah. is already in the ground. Um, I'm pretty sure that was uh, designed by Dave McCormick of gateway. Mm -hmm. And uh, that one is what many people say to be the hardest disc golf they've ever played. But uh, Northwood blacks might be that competitor between the hardest those two might be fighting for the hardest disc golf in, in the world. Yeah. I think but. it's courses are going to just continue to get harder and harder to keep up with the level of athletes. But next question we got here is one tip you would give yourself when you just started playing disc golf, taking it seriously. One tip I'd give myself. Um, you're going to miss. So it's okay. You know, uh, that, that was, that's, that's a tip, you know, like just getting over the misses. I mean, it happens, you know, when I just started learning to aim where I like the miss was more forgiving. It helped with my game. Uh, another thing that helped was just literally laying up at the amateur side. It was like hard to lay up a 45 footer, but if you have problem with three putts, you might want to, <laughs> yeah. you know, and, yeah. yeah, those are my two biggest ones, like for just amateurs wanting to try to get up to the next level is like, you don't have to make every putt. You don't have to be Superman. You know, sometimes just getting up and down is enough. True. We have seen plenty of people win by just scoring par. So definitely yeah. something to go out there and go do. Fourth question we've got for you here. What is your favorite memory playing disc golf? Hmm. My favorite memory playing disc golf uh, was pretty, I guess, uh, I think it was 2019. Uh, USCDC was my first ever U.S. championship. Uh, and uh, I aced hole one and uh, it was it was sick. You know, it was my first ever championship. Wow. And I got the ace on it. Is there a different feeling from a like tournament ace than like a practice, you know, just casual ace? Uh, I mean, tournament ace was sick. Was that 2018 or 19? I, it might've been 2018. I think that was my, 
was my, it was 2019. I don't know. It was one. It was my first U.S. championship. I think it was. Let's see. Uh, it was 18. Yeah. But yeah, the, the getting an ace in your first ever throw of the U.S. championship in your first yeah. ever U.S. championship that was just like the special thing. And at yeah. that time, I was the only, the first person to do that until Nick Newton uh, aced. Then New did it the year after, you know, to join the club. But uh, tournament ace is just it's so much cooler, you know. If it's your first shot, you know whether or not you know it's a short hole or not, you know it's cool to see it in tournament. We had a we had a long debate about this, and I'm not going to get into it. But my my argument was that there are not real aces, but they're more like really really nice aces. Like I, I would consider mm-hmm. that you know on top of the charts to what an ace is compared to you out doing just a practice round by yourself, throwing 10 shots out of basket and acing one. Yeah. I mean, I didn't really try to ace. Like say that ace wasn't, I literally threw it 10 feet short and it skipped up in. I was like the second tee time of the day. I think I threw, I was on the card after King Climo and like, you know, it was super early and uh, I hit the ground and it like the dew skipped it up and it skipped right into the middle. So it was like, <laughs> I was literally doing my best to try to lay up short, like put it short, not try to go long and uh, cash it out. So it was like, that was sick. You know, it wasn't like I was trying. It was just a bonus. Yeah. <laughs> it was just like, Hey, boom, skip up. Here you go. You take the one, you know, yeah. here's Kenny on the, on the green to give you a high five. You know, I was like, can Climo get daps me up for getting an ace? I'm like, let's go. <laughs> you know, that that's probably what made it, you know, extra special too. It was just like, you know, who I gets mean, dapped up on the, the yeah. champ, you know, literally just gets to watch your ace because he just finished the hole. You know, it was it was cool. Did he sign your desk? Did you did you do that? No. No. No, I didn't I nobody I didn't have anybody sign my desk. We just kept going. Yeah, <laughs> I sh- I should yeah. I should have, but like again, you're like nobody's asking the champ to sign his disc. That would have been <laughs> like the perfect situation, though, to be cool about it. Oh yeah, yeah, you want to sign this as a witness, real quick? Yeah, yeah, it would have been, it would been, it would been cool, but you know, I had to be, I had to be cooler than that, you know? Yeah, <laughs> I had to keep that composure. Makes, like, yeah, yeah, can't be fanning too much. That's true. All right, last question we got for you here is. What is the biggest mistake you see new players make? Biggest mistake I see new players make is like, I guess still, I'm going to harp that high speed drivers early. Oh, like just grabbing the high speed driver from the rip. That's the problem. You know, not learning how to just be, you know, 250 and in before thinking past that. Yeah, that would be it. It's definitely. Don't need to go to the drivers first. Grab your putter, grab your mid range, hit the course. Yeah. You know, graduate. <laughs> I like that. AJ, this has been a super fun episode. So glad to have you on. Where can the people connect with you on social media? Uh, I'm on Instagram at the real AJ Carey. That's C A R E Y. And um, you can find me on uh, Facebook as well. I got a page there. Uh, my PDJ number is 61770, and uh, I'm out of Shelby, North Carolina. It's in between Charlotte and Asheville. So you can uh, find me at all the tour spots. Uh, just follow me on UDISC, click the star beside my name, and I'll try to get some birdies for you. 
Cool, man. Well, thank you so much. We know you're on tour, you're busy, you're practicing. So this means a lot to us for you taking the time to talk to us, sit down, chat disc golf for a little bit. Our fans are definitely going to appreciate it. Best of luck to you at the tournament. And, you know, hopefully you get out there and get some birds. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It's, it's a blast to be able to get on here and, you know, enjoy your podcast. Thanks for letting me join you. Thank you for listening to the Chain Clankers podcast. Make sure you follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Chain Clankers and hit that subscribe button wherever you're listening to us from so you never miss another episode.